So did he say, and in turn I addressed him, giving an answer. Doubtless the gods themselves, Tiresias, spun these matters. But come now, tell me this, and recount it exactly and fully. That is the spirit of my dead mother at which I am looking. She sits close to the blood in silence, without even deigning either to look her own son in the face or to speak and address me. Tell me, Lord, what way she may recognize me as her offspring. So did I say, and at once he addressed me, giving an answer. Easily I will inform you of this. In your mind I will place it. Whomsoever of all these spirits, of those who have perished, you let nearer the blood, he will tell you the truth without error. But any spirit to whom you refuse it will go back once more. So having spoken, the soul of the Lord Tiresias entered into the palace of Hades, for what was ordained he had uttered. I, however, continued to stand right there until Mother came up and drank of the blood, black-clouded, and quickly she knew me. Sorrowing then she spoke, and in these winged words she addressed me. How have you come, my child, down under the murk and the shadows, while yet alive? It is hard for the living to look upon these things, for in the way lie huge wide rivers and terrible currents. Ocean, the first of them all, which someone going on foot can never traverse, if he does not have any well-built galley. Do you arrive after wandering hither from Troy for a long time, now in a ship, and along with your comrades? Have you indeed not gone back to Ithaca yet, and not seen your wife in the palace? So did she say, and in turn I addressed her, giving an answer. Mother, necessity led me to land in Hades' dominion, seeking prophetic advice of the Theban Tiresias spirit. For not yet have I neared the Achaean domains, nor have set foot yet in my country, but I have been wandering ever in sorrow, since that time when first I accompanied great Agamemnon over to Ilion, land of fine horses, to battle the Trojans. But come now, tell me this, and recount it exactly and fully. What doom was it of death long mourned that defeated and killed you? Was it a lengthy disease, or did Artemis, shooter of arrows, kill you, visiting you with her mild and benevolent missiles? Tell me then of my father and son also, whom I left there, whether with them my estate yet abides, or whether another man now has it and they no longer believe I will come back. Tell me as well of the wife I courted, her mind and intention, whether she stays with the child, guards everything steadfastly, or already has married the noblest among the Achaeans. So I spoke, and at once made answer the lady my mother. Even for too long still she remains with a resolute spirit there in the halls of your palace. The miserable nights and the days are always wasting away while she keeps letting her tears fall. Nobody has your noble estate, but Telemachus keeps your property still, at his ease and secure, and presides at the banquets equally shared, fit fair for the worthiest judge to partake of. All of the nobles invite him. Your father remains on his own place out in the country, 
nor visits the city, nor has any bedding, no bedstead, no mantles or covers of shimmering fabric. But in the winter he sleeps right there in the hut where the servants sleep, in the dirt by the fire, and the clothes on his body are squalid. Then when summer arrives, and the flourishing season of harvest, everywhere on the slope of his orchard planted with grapevines, beds of the dry leaves fallen to earth are arranged for his respite. There in his anguish he lies, in his heart the great sorrows increasing, longing for you to return, and a harsh old age overtakes him. For it was thus I perished, and thus encountered my doomsday. No, not there in the halls did the keen-eyed shooter of arrows kill me, visiting me with her mild and benevolent missiles. Nor was it any disease that attacked me, such as above all takes life force from the limbs, with its loathsome pining and wasting. But it was longing for you, and concern for you, brilliant Odysseus, tender affection for you that bereft me of my sweet spirit. So did she say, then pondering these things deep in my heart, I wanted to take in my arms that spirit of my dead mother. Thrice I started for her, as my heart bade me to embrace her. Thrice from my arms she fluttered away like a dream or a shadow. So in the depths of my heart my sorrow became even sharper. Raising my voice I spoke, and in these winged words I addressed her. Why not stay for me, mother, as I seek now to embrace you? So even here in Hades' domain, with affectionate arms we hold each other, and both take comfort in cold lamentation. Or is it some mere phantom that queenly Persephone summons up for me, so that I groan yet longer in sorrow and anguish? So I spoke, and at once made answer the lady my mother. O oh, my child, who beyond all mortals are destiny-ridden, not in the least Persephone, daughter of Zeus, has deceived you, but this way is allotted to mortals whenever they perish, since no longer the thews hold body and a bone frame together, but those fleshly remains are consumed by the powerful burning might of the fire, when once from the white bones life has departed, and like a dream is the fluttering soul flitting out of the body. But now swiftly return to the light again, keeping in mind all these things you are observing, to tell your wife of them later. So as we stood, each making reply to the other, the women came and approached, because queenly Persephone roused them to do so, such as were either the wives or the daughters of excellent nobles. There by the dark blood these came thronging and huddled together. I took thought of the way to interrogate each of the women. This is the plan which seemed to me then in my spirit the best one. Drawing the long-edged sword from the sheath on my powerful leg, I would not allow them to drink of the black blood all at the same time, but they approached in turn, one after another, and each one told me about her descent, for of all I made the inquiry. First, then, I saw Tyro, the child of an excellent father, 
who informed me that she was the noble Salmonius' offspring, said she was wife, moreover, to Cretheus, Iolus' scion, but she had fallen in love with the godly Anipius river, which of the rivers that flow on the earth by far is the fairest. She, by the beautiful streams of Anipius, often would wander. Likened to him, Poseidon, the holder and shaker of earth, lay down at the side of the maid in the mouth of the eddying river. Purple and foaming, a wave surged over the two like a mountain, arching aloft and concealing from view both the god and the woman. Loosing her maidenly girdle, the god poured slumber upon her. Straightway, after the god had accomplished his amorous deed, he took her hand in his own and said these words, calling upon her. Woman, rejoice in our love. As the year moves on in its turning, you will bear glorious children, for not without fruit the immortals share their embraces, and you watch over the offspring and rear them. Now go back to the house, stay silent, and never disclose this. Know, however, that I am Poseidon, the great earth-shaker. So did he say, and he plunged down under the billowing sea-brine. Neleus and Peleus she had conceived of the god, and she bore them. Both of her scions were soon to become strong henchmen of mighty Zeus. In Aeolcus of spacious domains lived Peleus, wealthy owner of sheep-flocks. Neleus dwelt in sandy-soiled Pylos. Then this queen among women, to Cratheus, bore other children, Ison and Pheres, and last Amithaon, delighting in horses.